Okay. Awesome. Everyone okay? Yeah. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for making it here to the Forget Me Not Club. It feels awesome to have a place that we can call shelter. Um, <laughs> normally, I spend Saturday evenings kind of like furiously flicking through weather forecasts, just wondering what's, what's about to happen. So it's nice, you know, actually last, yeah, last night we could, we could breathe. We, we were okay, yeah. So it's a welcome, everybody. It's a, it's a little different to normal, but it is just great being together as church and, and as community. So yeah, exa exactly as Graham said, um, we're going to be carrying on in uh, the first epistle of John, and I'll, I've got the pleasure of doing chapter two. Um, so uh, we're going to start with verses one to two, and that's what I'll be focusing on today. So yeah, if you can open up your Bibles or your iPads or flick on your phone or whatever else you might do, to be honest, it's only two verses. So um, yeah, if you can get, get comfortable, um, and I'll, I'll read out um, uh, these two verses. So I'm reading from the ESV. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Wow. So yeah, I think that's probably the only word I could find that suitably you know, describes those two verses. And I, I think it was probably a few weeks ago that um, G, G contacted me and was like, oh, um, I've got a doozy for you to preach on, really. I, I think that is probably another way to describe it. There's actually a lot packed into there. Um, and we're, we're going we're gonna to try our best to get through um, that and, and try and you know, dig up all the little nuggets um, that there are for us to learn from there. So just starting with my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you will not sin. Um, over the like the last few weeks, in terms of you know uh, Graham's sermons and what we've been focused on, we've been looking at um, you know sin and, and wrath in a way, really, um, in terms of what's been touched on in the last few verses. So, I mean, in, in chapter one, uh, verse nine, where, where, where we, we finish with, if we confess our sins, and we're able to reflect and realize actually that as Christians, we still sin, and we're still not perfect and we won't be perfect fully uh, until we uh, until we become uh, until you know we're, we're in heaven and we're with um uh, our lord jesus christ um, and that is something that we have to be aware of but not um feel condemned by either um uh, because in john's word if we confess our sins jesus is faithful and just and he'll purify us of all unrighteousness um going further back into what we've read already we know that we can't be both, at the same time, we can't be both in the light with God and in his perfection, and, but, uh, but also feeling comfortable in sin and in darkness. Um, we have to um, recognize um, that um, although sin is, um, part, sin is something that we are vulnerable to um, in, our, in these mortal bodies, it is something that we are called to conquer, really, um, uh, through Christ and through what he has done. And so going back to this particular verse, that, that phrase that we, we may not sin um, points out that although, yes, we are still within our mortal bodies, and yes, uh, even as Christians, we, we still do sin, it's not something that we should consider an inevitability. 
um, it's not something that we should consider um, impossible to live without. Um, we should still continue to strive for holiness. That's what God calls us to. Um, um, and that's why God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be able to be more and be better than we are, so uh, than we have been, and be better today than we were yesterday, and hopefully better tomorrow than we than we were today. Until and the Bible is clear on this. You know, we've turned to verses like Romans Romans eight verse twenty nine. Um, I'll just mention it really quickly. It talks about conforming to the image of His Son, and that's that's a journey that we're on as Christians, conforming to the image to become more like Christ um, Ephesians 1 verse 4 um, says even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love and I love that verse because it just speaks of um, of grace really in terms of God's choosing us before the foundation of the world um, to be his even as you know flawed and you know potentially you know, sinful as, as, as we are, he's chosen us to be perfect for him, to be holy and blameless for him. Um, and understanding that helps us, should help us and motivate us to strive for more and to be better. Um, let's, as I've kind of said, let, let's not give up on, on dealing with the imperfections or, or, the, or the sins that we recognize in our lives. Let's strive to be holy and blameless as God has called us to be. Um, I know from personal experience, sometimes you know, I've had things in my life or habits where I've found really, really difficult to shake you know, things about myself that I thought, I don't, I wish I could stop doing that particular thing or saying that particular thing. And it seems really, really difficult sometimes to let go of particular sins and habits. Um, and sometimes I think you can almost sometimes almost accept that those things are a part of you and those those, those, those evil actions in a way are a part of you and you can kind of sometimes become a bit indifferent to, to, to that behavior um, but indifference and apathy are sometimes our, our worst enemies really uh, and sometimes when, when we stop caring about how um, about the, the evil ways that we treat one another or the other things that we do to ourselves that's when we're most vulnerable I mean, some of the greatest atrocities or, or things that human that we've done to one another as as humans have happened when people have been indifferent or apathetic. Obviously, look back. We're in the 21st century now, and there's been atrocities this century. But if you look back into the 20th century, when we think about you know Nazi Germany or uh, you know communist Russia, a lot of things. Obviously, there was significant evil, but that evil was allowed to was able to pervade because of indifference and apathy. And I, 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 I labour on that point in some ways because it's going back to thinking about the context in which 1 John was written. So um, um, if you cast your mind back to Graham's sermon uh, right when we started, uh, th this epistle was written by John to address early Christian heresies. Um, and and um, this um, one particular heresy stemmed from um, an early form of what we call uh, of what was called at the time Gnosticism. So that secret knowledge, um, or people that felt that they had secret knowledge, and they they saw the spirit and things that were spiritual as good, and they saw things that were physical and things that were stemmed from the body as evil. Um, and actually, this was causing some Christians at that time to see that actually 
I can do what I want in a way because what I do with this body is not valuable anymore um, because um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved in my spirit. And so actually what I do on this earth is not valuable anymore. And John in a way is addressing this in terms of actually we should not sin. Um, and that's really, and so that, 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 that apathy was in that heresy in terms of actually it doesn't matter anymore um, in terms of how I behave. Um, and that is the, the, the perversion of the, under, uh, of the understanding of a biblical grace in terms of we, um, uh, and Paul talks about this in Romans in terms of like, because of grace, does that, that mean I should sin more so that grace abounds even more? And that is the opposite of what we are called to do. It's actually, you know, really disrespectful and a, a poor understanding of actually what Jesus has done on the cross. And um, so really, we're called not not to, not to apathy, not to accept sin, but actually to be holy, blameless, and righteous for Him. So if you are having, you know, sins that you are, or, or, or th- things about you that you have almost drawn to accept, um, in terms of you know difficulties or things that you say, whether it's pornography, addiction, white lies, whatever else it might be, um, don't accept those things. Don't accept them. They're not part of you. They're not part of who God has called you to be. He's called you to be holy and blameless. So when we succumb to those things, we don't have to beat ourselves up, but we know that we have you know, a perfect advocate in heaven that we can pray to, that is interceding for us. Um, and and uh, an advocate and a comfort here in the Holy Spirit is helping us to be better and to be holy and blameless. Again, just on that first verse, John addressing um, these early Christians as my little children. And I think that, again, when we're talking about the topic of sin, it is really important because um, children have a father and there's that sense of accountability there. Um, and I think that that's always really important when we're, when we're struggling with things, um, whether they're emotional or whether they are you know, dealing with, with you know, habitual sin or otherwise, to be accountable to somebody. And I, I just want to challenge you, you know, who, who are you accountable to? Um, is there, is there, do you have somebody that would call you my, my little Pete or you know, my, <laughs> my little Mark or whoever else it might be? <laughs> somebody that you can turn to. <laughs> I'll pick the wrong person. I'm like, he's going to make me laugh for the rest of the time. <laughs> no, but someone that you can turn to, genuinely turn to and be open and honest and you know it's not going to judge you, um, but it's going to help you, you know, to to combat those difficulties that you are having. Um, I I love what is happening in this church. Um, I, 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 when I, when I, the WhatsApp and just how just everyone's just free to be able to pop their prayer requests in. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Lynn. It's not just you. <laughs> it's, it's everyone, and, and and how we can rally around one another and support ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful that God is developing those relationships already. And you know, that my, my, my prayer is that we can develop, develop those relationships, that he will develop those relationships further um, so that we can help and support each other to not sin, as John, as, as John calls us to. So moving on to the latter part of that verse. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And um, the use of the word advocate is is interesting here, I feel. Um, the verse mirrors another verse in the Bible, uh, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. I'll just quickly read it. 
For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Um, and I, I suppose when I read this, I kind of thought, like, wh- when, when is it that we need a mediator? Um, and I, it made me think of my kids, to be honest, um, in terms of when is it that I need to mediate between Isaac and Naomi? And it, generally, it's not when I've popped them in front of the telly um, and they're happy. It's generally when they are angry at one another because um, they've fallen out. Um, or it's because um, you know one of them has upset the other and, and saddened the other in some way. Um, and I guess it made me start to think, you know, obviously that the concept of this verse is an advocate between us and, and God. And how often is it that we think of the things that we do, uh, particularly you know, you know, what John is talking about here in terms of sin? Um, how often is it that enough that we think about it seriously enough to feel that we need a mediator? Um, I often... You know, <laughs> There, there isn't a day where I don't sin in some way. I mean, it's hard to believe, guys, I know. Um, but there isn't a day where I don't sin in some way. Um, but I think the worst thing is that sometimes I don't think I'm even really conscious of actually what I did and of that sin. I, I think that's probably true for all of us, that in some ways it is that easy to do to do something that that violates God's commands that sometimes we are not even conscious of what we're doing or conscious of actually the gravity of what it is that we're doing and um, but there is great gravity to how to to to, to, to our sin and when, and when we break God's laws and his commands and what and how he's asked us to live um, and the Bible is clear about this as well uh, and and that's when you, Psalm 5, verse 5 to 6, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Those are really, really strong words, <laughs> basically. Um, and I think when I look at those words, I hope in you as well, maybe hearing those words, it makes you aware of the grace that we live in, really, because I, you know, I, I, I've definitely told lies before. It says, you destroy those who speak lies. And so it becomes really, really clear that actually when you read verses like that in the Bible, that we do, we need a mediator, we need an advocate, we need someone to act on our behalf. And when I read those verses, I feel thankful for Jesus Christ and I think that is the only response that we can have that we thank God for Jesus the righteous one the uh, as John calls him the perfect advocate and it is what 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 is it that makes Jesus perfect um and thinking into this um I think actually, if I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews because really, this this whole sermon is Hebrews essentially, <laughs> really. Um, and um, Hebrews originally, I, I'm, I'm sure I read it, it is actually a sermon, the book of Hebrews, um, and 
it summarizes really the things that I'm talking about today in a much better way than I could. So um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to do a bit of homework about atonement and advocacy and what Jesus Christ is, read the book of Hebrews. It's, it's brilliant, obviously. Oh, I have to say that, but it's true. Um, so yeah, if we turn to Hebrews chapter one, verse three, the radiance of God's glory, describes Jesus Christ as the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of God's being. Um, that makes, um, being the exact representation of God's being, God is perfect. Yeah. So this means that Jesus Christ is perfect. Um, we are made in the image of God um, as human beings. That makes us special. But we're not made in the exact representation of God um, in the same way as Jesus Christ. So he's fully divine. That makes him righteous. I mentioned about sometimes sinning so much, being so much part of our nature, of my nature, that I'm not even conscious of the fact that I'm doing that. I just told a little white lie there or otherwise. But Jesus was and is perfect. He was and is righteous. That made, And he is able to do that because he is divine. And that's what makes him the perfect advocate on our behalf. We couldn't do it on ourselves because by nature we're not perfect. We're not perfect. So Jesus is the only one that could do this role because he was fully perfect. But he is the, also the only one that could do this because he's fully human. Um, he can relate to us. In, in a, uh, he can understand us. You know, he understands the difficulties that we've been through because he, he walked the earth and he did it as well. Um, he, he sympathizes with us. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 4, um, verses 14 just, um, and we'll read from there let's give you a second since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I love that last verse because of what Jesus is able to sympathize with us. We know that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. What a comfort that is to know. Um, exactly like the hymn that we sang earlier before the throne of God above we have a strong and perfect plea now instead of being you know in Psalm chapter 5 destroyed <laughs> um, we, we can approach God's throne with confidence because of his righteousness what a wonderful thing Romans 5 verse 1 says we have peace with God now um, because of what Jesus Christ has done and this is a source of comfort isn't it yeah um, to know that, to know that actually, rather than you know, being 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 subject and getting what we deserve, actually we we live in grace um, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In fact, um, the, the the Greek word um, for used here for for advocate is a word called para is a word paraclete from uh, from our reading anyway, um, and this means comforter. And so you might be familiar with that because in um, it's the same word that is used 
in uh, John 15 verse 26 by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit um, when, when he said he was going to send the Holy Spirit to us to be our comforter. And I, I put, this, this came out to me when I was preparing for the sermon and reading a commentary and I just, I, I loved that point because it kind of just shows the harmony of the Trinity um, in working for our redemption. Um, you've got the uh, in terms of that, that parallel of Jesus as the comforter and the Holy Spirit as the comforter um, and it's a wonderful thing to think that you know on our behalf you've got the, the three persons of the Godhead working together to cancel out uh, and to atone for every sin that I could ever commit I can't even come out I can't even count them um, but the, the, all the persons of the Godhead are working together for our redemption so that we can be seen as righteous in God's sight um, we've got Romans chapter 8 verse 34 um, uh, and, and verses 26 um, describe Jesus interceding for us before God the Father um, and the Spirit interceding for us in verse 26 um, just that wonderful thing of us being seen as significant enough for God the three persons of the Godhead to be working together for, for our redemption and salvation is beautiful and another thing is the use of the word is in this verse um, Jesus Christ is our advocate He not that he was uh, before and he stopped now or, or not that one day you know we'll um, we'll be in a dock and, and and Jesus will step forward and and um, and advocate on our behalf. Like he's he's our advocate right now. He's interceding on our behalf right now um, uh, before the throne of God above. Yeah, and that's a wonder. What what again? I find that a comfort to know that actually, you know, before really before I've even thought to slip up, um, Jesus Christ is there interceding for me on my behalf right now. Um, and, and on or on our behalf right now um, what a source of comfort so just leads us nicely on to, to verse 2 so again I'll just read that again he, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world so I mean th th this is you know historically a, a very controversial verse basically in terms of meaning and interpretation um you know I'm not I, don't, I don't have a phd in theology or bible studies um but i think you know we'll, we'll, we'll try and unpick this as best as possible and try and be as uh, as faithful to the rest of the gospel and bible as we go as we kind of go through this so the word propitiation um is the act of appeasing a God or spirit uh, and we kind of touched on this already in terms of um, that the wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus Christ um, um, and only Jesus could do this and, and just to reiterate kind of the reasons why only Jesus could do this because he is fully human um, he could stand in our place um, so again just to quickly breeze through some verses second corinthians 5 verse 21 for our sake for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god he took on our sin in our place um, hebrews 2 verse 17 for this reason he had to be made like them 
fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So just underscoring there in scripture in terms of just him you know, um, standing in our place and being fully human, understanding so that he could represent and atone for you know, the sins that, uh, of, of mankind. But at the same time, he's fully divine, uh, fully God, 100% God, to be able to attain righteousness from that perfection that only God can have. Um, so, um, again, just in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And this is such an important point when we think about our atonement in terms of the words perfect and forever. Um, and when we've uh, kind of touched on in terms of just that perpetuality of Jesus interceding on our behalf and the perpetuality of his grace on our behalf, which is um, a million miles away from the um, picture of atonement that's there in the Old Testament, in which the book of Hebrews is, you know, uh, or which the author of Hebrews is underscoring here in terms of that constant need for sacrifices to make up for the sins. And as I've kind of touched on, you know, in reality, none of us can even really count up the number of sins that we're making. We could never make a correct sacrifice of our own accord. That's why we needed Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the righteous one, to do that for us once and for all, forevermore. Um, and just moving on to, I suppose, the, 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 the part of the scripture that causes difficulty for some people, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And I think what maybe helped me you know, in my reading and maybe you know, forming my thoughts about you know, this, this particular part of scripture was thinking about you know, um, ourselves in reference to God as little children. Um, uh, and, and, and that's maybe, th- th- that analogy is maybe what stood out to me in these, first, in, in these couple of verses in, in 1 John, in that um, I kind of touched on when I was, uh, talk about, you know, I talked about my own children um, and the, the, when was thinking of them when I see the word advocate. Um, and I suppose the advocate as well, I think about myself when I was a child uh, and how my mum was my advocate, if you will, um, in lots of different scenarios. Um, to be fair, I, I was a pretty good son, I think. Um, my, 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 my younger brother was a troublesome one. And, and when, I, when I think about advocate, uh, he's not here to defend himself either, so it's fine. Um, but um, when I think about advocate, I often think about my brother in terms of like parents' evening. And my mum would go to parents' evening and the teachers would try and like, well, would rightfully, you know, try and <laughs> t- take, stri- take strips off of him. And my mum would quite faithfully defend her son as much as possible. But then as soon as he got home, yeah, she'd let him not have have it really, basically. Um, but in in the parents' evening, in that room, she was his advocate. And so that makes me think, of, so, so again, that analogy of children and parents, advocate, um, that they all kind of are things that align when I think about these couple of verses. 
And I think that thinking about ourselves as children, as, as God's children, is a helpful way to interpret these verses. Children belong to someone. Um, is, the under, is the underlying thing. You know, the, my mom wasn't there arguing with teachers at parents anything for kids that she didn't know. Um, she was there doing it for her son who belonged to her. And in the same way, we belong to Christ Jesus. We belong to uh, God the Father. Um, and I think when we think about that, I, I stress that point because it's really important in terms of not separating verse, verse one from verse two and recognizing that Jesus is the perfect advocate because he is the perfect propitiation for our sins and he's perfect at fighting on our fighting or interceding on our behalf because he is the perfect propitiation for our sins so i suppose i'm just going to go through maybe a couple of like popular you know maybe different ways to interpret this verse and maybe we can try and settle on one that i think maybe fits best um, so some, some people might see this verse to mean that everyone, whether believing in Jesus or not, has had their sins appeased by, uh, by Jesus. Um, this, this is something that's, you know, um, termed as universalism. Um, I think the difficulty with this view, um, is that it doesn't align so well with the whole of scripture. Um, Psalm 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. And flawless is, you know, it's a pretty high standard, isn't it, really, to describe God's word as flawless. Um, but that, that is the truth of scripture. So if we're, if we're potentially finding somewhere where there's a contradiction, I think a contradiction would be a flaw. Um, so we, we approach scripture knowing that actually it's flawless. So if there's a contradiction, that means that we haven't understood something properly. So we have to be careful when we're reading scripture um, and careful in unpicking and understanding our theology. So if we think about, so going back to what I was uh, mentioning there with, um, is it possible that Jesus' sin has, Jesus' sacrifice, sorry, has appeased for the sin of everybody, whether believing or unbelieving, um, um, and everybody essentially is going to go to heaven. Um, if we, I want us to, again, to help maybe give us some context here. If we go back to maybe Graham, if anybody does listen to the podcast one day, um, if you go back to Graham's sermon on uh, Psalms chapter 1, verse 6, it spoke about God know, Graham spoke about God knowing the way of the righteous, um, but that the way of the wicked will perish. So Jesus is not advocating um, or appeasing for those that he does not know um, or that don't belong to him. Um, we know from scripture that um, God's judgment is real. It's a difficult fact um, when we talk about wrath and, and hell, but it's true um, and scripture is clear about it. Um, we talk about what maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3 verse 16. Um, for God so loved the world, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So, but if we unpick that and we look at the, so that those that don't believe in him, they will perish. And that's the importance and the importance of us speaking about what we believe because God's judgment um, and 
perishing is true. It will happen. Um, Later on in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Paul in his epistle to the Ephesians and chapter 2 describes uh, us before um, grace and before redemption as children of wrath um, until God gives us salvation. And that's a really harsh term, isn't it? Children of wrath. But I think it contrasts really beautifully with where we are now as children of God. Um, And I think there's a clear difference between being children of God and children of wrath, um, which is presented clearly in scripture. And as difficult as it is to talk about hell and about wrath and and things like that, um, it isn't something to be swept over because to do so um, diminishes God's grace, which is something that we should celebrate and which we will celebrate forevermore. And so we need to recognize the gift that is God's grace. Going back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, uh, the, about the whole world. So others might take this description of the whole world to mean that Jesus' sacrifice has paid for the sins of unbelievers as, as well as believers because of the use of the world world. So that is to maybe mean that um, Jesus' death on the cross has um, erased or has atoned for the sins of everybody, whether believing or unbelieving, um, but that it only becomes effective for those people that choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Um, I think, again, this view does develop some difficulties as well. Um, in, the, in the interest of time, uh, as I said, this is this is a controversial verse, uh, has been debated and discussed for time at a memorandum, basically. But in the interest of time, I'm going to focus on maybe the issue that with that particular interpretation that bothers me most. And I think the biggest difficulty with this view is that um, when we're talking about wrath and we're talking about hell, we're talking we're, in that view. You have Jesus dying on the cross for people that ultimate that he fails to redeem and that ultimately you know end up in hell after Jesus has died on the cross for them um, and, and maybe another way to put it is that essentially some of Jesus's blood that is shed goes to waste ultimately in that it fails to save every it fails to save um, and I think the difficulty with this view is that I feel it devalues the blood of Jesus Christ we've spoken about how he's fully human and fully God um, fully God is infinite um, when um, everything of him he is of infinite value um, this is what made Jesus Christ worthy because he is God and he is of infinite value um, the Bible underscores this value by of Jesus Christ by often and, and the value of what Jesus did on the cross by relating the blood of Jesus very often to terms like purchase, bought, ransom. It shows that there was a there's a value to the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, if you look at um, Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty eight, it says, "Keep watch over yourselves." and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, 
which he bought with his own blood. Uh, another reference in Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And I think that you know, the, the, these verses, they tell us something about the value of his blood and actually consequently something about our value as his church. Um, the only thing that could purchase us, that was valuable enough to purchase us um, and redeem us was the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when given how valuable his death is, it doesn't seem possible to me that the God who planned for Jesus to die so that we could be saved would plan for his blood to be spilt in vain. Um, all of Jesus' blood is valuable. There's um, nothing, it doesn't seem logical that um, it could be re any of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross could be rendered invaluable by being shed for somebody that ultimately is not saved. I believe Jesus' blood saves. So going on to maybe another um, uh, interpretation, I think that that final verse that I read from in Revelation maybe hints at us to, hints to us the meaning of this verse. The word world in verse two could be understood as referring to those that Jesus has ransomed to belong to him, to be from to be his children from each nation and tribe of the world. Again, context is really important. So um, this this book of one John is being written to um, by John to Jewish Christians, um, and so understanding that actually he's writing to early Jewish Christians, you can see how the term world opens things up. He's he's saying that actually it's not for, uh, you know that the sacrifice is not just for the Jews. He's not just a Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah of everybody. Um, he is the advocate and propitiation for those that believe in him. Um, he, he, his church, um, his children, um, us here in this room. Um, and I suppose this is the view of this particular scripture that was held by um, uh, Christian fathers like um, Charles Spurgeon, Calvin, Augustine, and also by Polycarp who, who sat at John's feet. Um, I recognize we've been on, just wrapping up now, getting to the end of the sermon, and I mean, we've been on a bit of a journey in terms of looking at different interpretations, and I think we're a church that wants to love the Lord our God with all our minds, strength, and soul. I'm going to emphasize mind because I want this to be a thinking church. You know? I think it's really, really important that everybody, you know, not that we all become you know, Bible scholars, but that everybody is comfortable holding the word of God um, and understanding it for themselves. Um, and so I really want to encourage everybody to study this scripture some more for themselves. Um, and maybe if there's something that you don't understand or if you know, there's a, things that I've said maybe that you don't necessarily agree with, please feel free to approach me um, and talk about it, really. That's what we're talking about with the relationships we want to build in this church. Um, um, or, you can, or, you know, or if it gets a bit heavy, I'll ask you to speak with Graham. You know, I'm sure we'll explain it instead. So, um, but 
my point is that let's not be afraid of when we talk about the Bible as flawless. As flawless, let's not be afraid to review to, to hold the difficult parts of Scripture or to discuss those together. And most importantly, let's not let them divide us either. Yeah, and we should be free to be able to talk and understand Scripture together and be on that journey together. So to finish, if you just turn with me to John chapter 11, verses 51 to 52. So these are the words of Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, He said, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Um, Jesus died to gather you to him. Let's thank Jesus that we're his children. Through him, we have the power to not sin. He intercedes and fights our corner better than any parent could. Jesus Christ is of infinite value. And he gives us a value through purchasing purchasing us with his priceless blood. Uh, Amen.